Welcome to the Agito podcast. On this podcast, I interview predominantly CG artists, artists that I find to be influential or inspirational, artists that create images or media that connects with the viewer or myself on a, on a different wavelength, on a deeper level. I hope to share resources and connect with uh, people I've never met in person and maybe never will meet in person. All of the resources mentioned in the podcast will be in the description and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Do you feel like, um, you say that game um, Silent Hill 2 is the best adventure horror. Um, do you do you feel like you have to play them chronologically? Um, um, if I, if I oh hear that, I'm inclined to like Okay, so I will answer this question, but I ask that you please do not <laughs> the final product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because, like, this is mostly based off my own hearsay, and I myself have not actually played the games, and it's for that reason, I don't think that I can speak to it. I don't want to be putting this, yeah, putting this opinion out there, being like, I'm, but I've never actually played the games. It's just like me from the outside as an art piece. I love it. I love everything that it stands for. Um, my opinion is no, I don't think you need to play the games in order. Um, there are certain games, like, so one and three are kind of a matching set. Um, and that, like, you, you might get a little more from the story of the first, of the third one, if you kind of know sort of what happened in, in the first one. But I mean, I don't think that necessarily means you need to play through the first one. I think it's just, like, helps with, like, oh, little synopsis, mm-hmm. little summary mm-hmm. of it. <clears throat> Two is very much a standalone because the thing with one and two is that the only thing that they really have in common with each other, from what I hear, is that they take place in the same location, like the same little purgatory, the same little personal hell. Um, but one and three in particular deal a lot with a cult. Four also deals with a cult. And then I stopped caring after four. <laughs> Like, because the other ones are are bad. Um, There's a few. All the other... I don't know if 4 was... I think 4 was also a Japanese game, yeah. But all the other ones were made by Western developers. There's Silent Hill, Book of Memories, uh, Silent Hill, uh, Homecoming, and then I think there's, like, a couple other games. They're all made by Western developers. And it's, like, I think some of them build off the cult, some of them don't. The one thing that they always have in common is the location. They always take place in Silent Hill. They always have something to do with Silent Hill. Um, but I don't know. I feel like most of the installments, particularly after 4, was just... It's just like continuing a series for the sake of continuing a series rather than like, yeah, let's try and bring something. Yeah. yeah. But like, although one of them did try to like psychoanalyze you as you went and like modify the monsters based off of like your analysis, which like... I don't think it. They, I don't think it worked. I don't think like I saw the stuff, and I'm like, this is this is kind of stupid. But like, you know, kudos to them for trying. It didn't work, but they tried, and I think it's better for that. You know, but uh, oh, and then of course there's Silent Hill PT, which I'm never going to stop crying about the fact that it got canceled. Like, I'm, every day I wake up and I I realize that I live in a timeline where Silent Hills PT was never expanded into a full game, and it just it kills me inside. You know. Why not? Uh, why wasn't it expanded into a full game? Um, oh, it's there just was. A teaser. Yeah, so the PT is sent for a playable trailer. 
Um, and, you know, again, this playable trailer influenced quite a few games, like um, Resident Evil 7, you can clearly see the influence of PT. Um, and then there's a game that's coming out later this year called Madison. I'm really excited. It looks super cool. I'm going to buy it and cry. Uh, <laughs> but it's also very much has like the PT influence, even a game like Visage, which I don't know, I can't remember. It's like layers of, it's like they're, they've all kind of got the PT vibe to them. Um, and like, it just like, it was so good. It was so good. Just a single trailer that took place within a singular loop of hallway that just kept repeating accomplished so much. Uh, but it didn't end up. Uh, becoming a full game because there were issues with Konami and the director Hideo Kojima. So, <clears throat> so Kojima ended up leaving Konami. So, and then they just like scrapped the game. Del Toro was working on it, and so was Junji Ito. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? <laughs> I I don't have the love of the games industry that you do. So I <laughs> honestly I can't imagine because I don't know who those people are, but. <laughs> Okay, come on. Um, you know Del Toro, Guillermo Del Toro, right? The director. No? He did Pan's Labyrinth, The Shape of Water, oh, Pacific okay. Rim, the first one. Yeah, Del Toro. So he's he's a big he's a big fan of the spooks. So he was collaborating with uh, Kojima, and Kojima is a big he's a big name game director. Um, I think the other thing that he's really famous for is uh, Metal Gear hmm. franchise, which I I know next to nothing about Metal Gear franchise except for the there's a bunch of people named Snake in various states of matter. Um, I, I know Solid Snake is a big one, but I've seen people say Liquid Snake too, and I'm like, are they just memeing, or is there an actual Liquid Snake? I don't know. <laughs> um, but that franchise has also done some funky stuff, including one of the games where one of the antagonists reads your, like, it was for GameCube, I think, and one of the antagonists reads your memory card and, like, talks to you, the player, directly as opposed to the character that you're playing mm -hmm. and, like, mentions these games that are on your memory card, yeah. which is, like, super cool. Um, and then Junji Ito, is, he's a horror manga author who he's done a bunch of stuff. Um, I think his most well-known piece is Uzumaki or The Spiral. It's just, um, yeah. Have you played it? Um, I read Uzumaki, yes. I like it as a story. I like his art. Technically, it is very nice, but it never seems spooky to me. Hmm. And it's like, I was like, oh, he's like a master of horror. And I'm like, eh. I like his art. I respect him as an artist. I just don't find his stuff very spooky, but I mean, kudos to, like, I like his work. Kudos to him. <laughs> so... I, I've heard you talk about Silent Hill so much in that, that franchise. What is it about Silent Hill that evokes that you're, that you're so passionate about? Is it just that you, you can get lost in the horror? Part of it, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I think a good chunk of it is nostalgia. Mm -hmm. um, just because Silent Hill was the first horror franchise that like I really sunk my teeth into. Yeah. As like a wee little 11-year-old. <laughs> Like, I'm going to give myself trauma. <laughs> like, um, which I actually started with the Silent Hill movie, which um, a lot of people... It's a bad movie. I mean, it's not terrible, but it's like... It's, it's a video game movie. Like, you know. Um, 
but it's not bad. Um, it's not irredeemable, I'd say. But it, yeah, it was really, really the first piece of media that I really managed to like sunk my teeth into, and I think that counts for a lot. And I really, you know, um, and I think the fact that like there haven't really been any major installments in so long that it's just like. All I'm remembering is like this golden memory of how much I loved Silent Hill when I was 12. And it's like, oh, like I'm sure if Silent Hill was, a re- was still a recurring franchise, like I'd probably be a little bit less passionate about it because it would be like very saturated, right? Yeah. Kind of like how I used to care about Assassin's Creed and then they started coming out with a new one every year and then I just kind of like stopped caring. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but as for like, Aside from nostalgia, um, I'm a big sucker for monster design. I just, I like things where it's just like, I just, like, I don't even need any context. I just see it and I'm like, it's fucking terrifying. Love that. Chef's kiss, moi. Um, Silent Hill definitely does that for me. Hmm. And like the design of, of Pyramid Head. Oh my God, I was so obsessed with Pyramid Head in high school. Oh my She's God. So <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but like, I like to think I'm a little bit more tasteful with my obsession now. I keep it under wraps. No, you don't. <laughs> oh, ouch. Um, I dressed up this pyramid head for Halloween one year, but it was like a really lazy costume. Did I tell you about this? No. <laughs> and she's like, I just took a giant box and I put it into like the pyramid head shape like giant cardboard box. And then I just like painted it maroon and put it on my head on top of like my normal clothing and went to school. <laughs> It was great. Did people know? Um, not many people did, but yeah. a few people did. Um, hard to gauge. I mean, there's so many games yeah. and franchises now. It's hard to gauge how much. Um, how much people know? Like visibility, something has outside of your own niche. I feel like I mean, like we've just been doing like 3D animation, and I feel like every mm-hmm. single person is a 3D animator because that's all I've been like <laughs> reading and doing. It's. <laughs> I find that, like, if you're not in the, quote, gaming circle or whatever, it, like, Silent Hill's probably not a very well-known name. Hmm. Like, people who, you know, game, it's like, Silent Hill is a pretty well-known franchise. But, like, for people outside of that who aren't particularly interested and who aren't interested in horror either, I find that, like, most of the games that they know are, like, the really big ones, like Halo, Call of Duty, hmm. a... League of Legends, like those are probably the games that they, yeah. uh, which you know nothing wrong with that. It's just that that's what people who aren't looking into it probably hear the most of. Pyramid Head is genius level creature design. I will die on this hill. Uh, he's very human, like he's a big imposing looking dude, but his head is just like this big inorganic shape, mm-hmm. and like to me that like that clashed. Like it's such a simple shape, but just like that those two elements put together in the way they are are just like so effective mm. um i mean and the fact that he drags around a giant knife probably helps too uh, is he a significant character in the in the game um he's in the second one in particular he appears in later series too but i think it's more just for like fan service as opposed to him being like really all that important although i guess it's debatable about the third one. i don't know i don't know that much about the third one um i just like i like i don't know i really admire like what silent hill 2 did in particular of using the characters and the monsters and the setting to 
tell a deeper story than what's there on the surface level. Like, it's the kind of thing that you can read, like, a million different analyses about. It's the kind of thing that, like, leaves you thinking and that there's so many different interpretations of it. And, like, I think that's great. I think that's awesome. It's, to me, like, all the best pieces of art, all the best books, movies, games, what have you, are games that leave you with questions or leave you wanting more or just, like, that make you think about them. Yeah. And so Silent Hill, in particular, to me, like, it taps into that. On top of having some really fucking sweet monsters. <laughs> yeah. This one kind of looks like a he, he walked out of like a Greek mythology. Uh, pyramid head. Yeah. Which one are you looking at? Because there's like a whole bunch of different variations uh, of him. Wallpaper. Wallpaper. Oh. Yeah. It's um. Be careful when you're looking at pyramid head though on the internet because. <laughs> Listen, if you go on Tumblr and look up the Silent Hill tag, you get a bunch of really horny pyramid head fan arts. Like, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll refrain from. I feel like that's most things on Tumblr, though. Fair, um, but yeah, the, the pyramid head fans are—they uh, are not shy about their thirst. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, what, when I've talked to you about um, trying to, like. You get a career in the industry. Um, <laughs> you never like. Obviously, I feel like games are far more your passion than movies or TV games. shows. I mean, games. I mean, games are my passion, but it's not necessarily like the only thing that I'm interested in. Um, like, I, like I like horror i like monsters and like that is 100 percent my passion but like i feel like any medium where i get the opportunity to contribute to something that i think is cool and when i get to contribute to that in my chosen medium i'm happy basically um i mean i love monsters and i love video games but they're definitely not the only things that i'm interested in um god Doing like, like creature modeling for like a horror movie. Oh god, that'd be sick. <laughs> like I guess that's I guess that's more of the same though. Um, but like in particular, like video games call out to me just because you know they're a new emerging medium. I mean, they're relatively new as far as things go, mm-hmm. and like I feel like there's so much room to explore, and there's so many things that haven't been done yet. Um, like, especially now with, like, VR coming out, too. Yeah. Such an opportunity for horror. Oh, my God, yeah. But, like, more than that, it's, like, it's such an opportunity for really implying, like, empathy in people. It's, um, because, like, we talked about this the last time we met up, where it's just, like, I I think people have a hard time truly empathizing with someone that they can't put a face to, someone that they don't personally know. And, you know, it doesn't have to be, like, a video game experience, per se, but, like, in VR you get the opportunity where it's like you're interacting with someone who's actually there. It's not just on a screen. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, again, like the medium of video games, which is you're giving a person, you're giving the player agency. They are shaping the story themselves. They themselves are also going through the story. It's not just watching a story unfold and you're just on the outside watching it happen. Mm-hmm. It's like, as it is with movies, books, etc. cetera. Um, and like, I think there's a lot of 
power that comes with that. And there's a lot of interesting stuff that you can do with that. Yeah, that's true. Opportunity. I feel like most of the games I've played have really underutilized mm-hmm. that, though. It's just kind of you've got your one route to explore. Yeah. I, I suppose, and like, I mean, open world routes are becoming more commonplace, but. I mean, like, I don't think every game has to be like you know, deep and inspiring and really introspective, like, yeah. you know, I fucking love Super Mario Sunshine, man. Yeah. It's a game about cleaning up graffiti and, like, collecting magical little golden sun things. Like, fuck yeah, I love that shit. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, like, I, I think we should also explore these other things as well as just, like, you know, have our goofy fun games. Hmm. Um yeah games are so hard to make too oh god they take so much work do you um with the time that you guys have spent in um unreal in uh in those last couple classes um do you feel like you're gonna keep on exploring it at all Uh, i probably will but that's largely because i don't have an nvidia (laughs) yeah and i still need to render stuff Hmm. i can't use much shit I know there are other renderers that I can use, but I do actually really want to explore Unreal. Um, I played around a bit with Unity before, and like, I don't know. I have faith that I can figure it out. I can do it. I believe in myself. I know how to Google things. Yeah, I uh, I just found this project. Um, I feel like personally, um, I'm not a huge fan of a lot of the stuff that's made in Unreal, just because it seems like it's a little difficult to create unique stylization i mean it's you get you get photorealism so, so long as your yeah. textures are correct but um I mean, that's another thing i'm always going to complain about photorealism being like the default or like the standard in games it's like why i don't get it this uh i just sent you the this thing life is a really um it's it's a good story i i, I haven't seen or maybe I have. I don't know. I guess. Um, the Mandalorian was kind of all Unreal Engine, wasn't it? The Mandalorian? Mm-hmm. Did it do stuff with Unreal? Uh, yeah, I think they used oh. it to render the, the blocks. I didn't know. I feel like I can I can see it still. You know, like uh, if it was made, if a game was made in Unreal, I, I can really like tell that so i I, like i never pay attention with like graphics or anything like i mean i like i there's this like niche little subgenre of horror that's almost i don't know if it's getting a resurgence or if it's always been there and i've just never paid attention before but it's doing these like ps1 ps2 era graphics Hmm. for like these indie horror games and like sorry siren um i think they're really cool i love them and i think the fact that they're done in that style does add something to them and like it's like when was the last time i played like a super hd real like no all the my favorite games are stylized all my favorite games are pixely Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah (laughs) graphics don't always add to the experience no i don't like i'm I know a lot of people who do, well, not a lot of people, I don't, I don't know that many people. I know people who do think that, like, graphics are, like, graphics are very important to them, and, like, for them, it's part of the immersion, 
and it's like part of like the experience of being like you there. Uh, you know what? That's fair. Like, but I personally can't relate. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of the games that I've played, as they've as the quality has gone up, I can't say that the enjoyment of the experience has gone up equivalently. Yeah, I would say I enjoy them a little less. That might, that might just be growing up and well, I mean, jaded about everything. But. I'm I'm kind of in the same boat, but like I do think that has to do more with like my shifting tastes than like the games themselves. Because like you know, when I was a kid, it was my GameCube. I was playing all. All my all my Mario's and my Super Smash Bros and like all that stuff, and then like then I went to high school. I was like, oh, I'm a big kid now. I'm gonna get a PS3. I'm gonna play like the Final Fantasies and like the Final Fantasy 13 and like all those. And like you know, I did enjoy those games for a bit, but I guess as the genre continued to evolve, to evolve, I just couldn't find like the same fundamental joy in them that I could in like my fun little Mario game. <laughs> You know, how much of that is because, like, Mario is a better game than, like, Final Fantasy fifteen, And how much of that is just, like, nostalgia and just, like, you know, sometimes I just like to play a little game where I, where I chase after a little mushroom. <laughs> like, I don't know if it's, like, a, a comparison. But, I mean, like I, like I said, it's all the games that I've really enjoyed in the past, like, year or two. They've just been indie games. Like smaller games with less fancy graphics. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Let some. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes less is more. And mm-hmm. I think one of the joys of Mario, and maybe to generalize, a lot of indie games is just that um, they there isn't too much fluff on them. Like I think you could mm-hmm. learn. You can learn to play Mario in six seconds. Yeah. You, yeah. You see all the buttons, and you're like, all right. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that's kind of been my issue with why I don't enjoy shooters as much is because I'm not as familiar with the conventions of the genre as I am in like the games that I'm used to playing, right? Because apparently what I'm finding out now is that like, okay, this button always means aim. This button always means like mount your gun. This button always means reload. And like it's a consistent pattern in like every single game. And like I don't know any of these things. Like I've been I've been playing games my whole life. I just haven't been playing shooters. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's kinda like, ugh, this isn't fun. It's like it's too much learning for me, right? Mm-hmm. But um For what it's worth though, I, I don't know if this is like comparable, but it's like why I much prefer movies over TV shows. And it's kind of for the same reason. I feel like TV shows have way too much fluff to them. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Uh, some some T V is different. Um now that like did you ever watch House of Cards? Yep. No. Uh, yep. Some some TV is getting so high budget. It has it has a higher budget than you know most yeah. most full feature. Like, I mean, yeah, but like I don't care how high the budget is if like if they're spending forever on like minor plot points and on characters that I don't care about. Like I'm boring is boring. I don't care how much CGI no, I put on. I, the, these TV shows, I'm thinking mostly of uh, Man in the High Castle, um, House of Cards, Game of Thrones, like, they're, the writing and the CGI and mm-hmm. every their whole production is such high quality that I don't know if that really applies. If it's if we're talking about, like, a Seinfeld or something, you've got to have the same 
sets and the same characters and the same dialogue. I mean, not to dis. I think it's a little bit. Yeah. I think it's a little bit different between like the like each each episode is its own like encapsulated story. I think I think it's like the monster or the monster and episode kind of style is a little bit different from like the long overarching ones that like is just a plot that's happening over like a long overarching plot over a long period of time. Because it's like when you have a TV series and it's like you're trying to tell one story and you have this much time to tell it. And like you don't have the same time constraints as you would in like a two hour movie. And there's just like so much shit that's left in there and like I just I can't be bothered with like 80% of it. Like I just don't care. <laughs> and like, you know, I I don't think that's necessarily means because they're just bad writing or it's a bad show or anything. I think it might just be my own personal tastes. And like, you know, you're mentioning all these shows and like I've never seen any of them because like I've I've just never all the shows that I've seen in the past, I mean, we get bored within like two episodes that I just like can't be bothered to pick up another one. Like I, mm-hmm. I don't want to waste my time. Yeah, no, I, I yeah. feel the same way. Are there any that come to your mind? Boring ones? Yeah. Um, does it mean if I say Game of Thrones? No. <laughs> just kidding. Um, I, I only, I've only seen a few episodes of Game of Thrones. That was a long time ago. So like, I'm just like, I think I'm just salty about the series as a whole because I never really cared for it. I read the first book in uh, The Song of Ice and Fire and I'm like, okay, so this is literally just like a drama, but in like a high fantasy setting. Yeah. Well, yeah. which, you know, again, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just like, mm, eh. Like, it's, it's just not for me. You know, and it's just like it's an extra, extra, extra slow high fantasy drama. Yeah, it's I don't know. There aren't enough pretty elves with like long flowing hair. You know, for me to like stay interested. You only waited six books. You would have got to some giants. Ah, a shame. I did occasionally pop in to watch YouTube compilations of the dragons though, because the dragons were sick. They were sick. Uh, Um. Let's see other boring shows. Like, a... honestly, like this isn't just for like TV shows with actors, but like a lot of anime too that I've had recommended to me, and then I've tried watching. I'm like, I... like it's it's good. I just don't care that much. Mm-hmm. Um, Teach their own. Yeah. I wonder if anyone, I feel like Mario is pretty close, like media that everyone can kind of get on board with or everyone that plays it finds some pleasure in it. That's a difficult, one might say impossible thing to create. Yeah. Um, Avatar The Last Airbender. Everyone loves Avatar. No, I did. I did actually watch that show. It's one of like the three shows that I've ever finished. It's so good. And uh, one of the other series that I've actually finished is Death Note, Death Note, the original anime. It's so good. Oh my God. That was like, Death Note was what really got me into like my overanalyzing of every piece of media that I consume. <laughs> like there was so much there and like the fandom was pretty dead when I joined and the people who were still active were very much adults. Cause like 
back when death Note was like really popular is probably when i was like 12 mm -hmm. and like all the fans were probably around my age and so now the people who are still active in the fandom are mostly like old, um, older people and they like to they're still passionate about the series and they write a lot of meta and they write a lot of analysis on the characters on the plot on like all this stuff i'd spend hours just reading like an analysis of a specific character's actions or like how one character relates to another character or like how things might have hypothetically turned out if like xyz and that was really like the first piece of media that like i actively went out to look like tell me uh and then it was all downhill from there <laughs> why like waiting into fandoms no it wasn't my first foray into fandom but it was my first foray into like over well i think over analysis is into over analysis um which don't get me wrong like i, I think i'm i think i'm just being mean there like it's not over analysis i think there genuinely is a lot analyzed in a series like death note um but it's hmm, how do i put this but since then i guess that might be the first time that i myself started looking for metaphors and extra meaning and not continuations but just like more from a piece of media rather than what is presented at a surface level because mm -hmm. like you know it's the stuff that you do in like your high school english class you're like what does this mean and you just like roll your eyes like oh my god it's like it's blue because it's blue god shut up but like that was the first time that i went back and i was like no 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 there's a reason there's probably a reason why this is blue or, like but like i like it's still worth analyzing you know and like that's kind of where the joy of that started coming back to me mm -hmm. yeah that's a hard thing to do and so satisfying when you discover it and um i will say though i'm really bad at analyzing stuff on my own unless it's like really fucking obvious and like the author's like spoon feeding it to me i'm looking at you margaret atwood just kidding that's <laughs> a fine line because yeah. if you um, make it too complex then nobody's gonna get it and if you make yeah. it too surface level then it's almost almost like it's being spoon-fed to you it's not that yeah and it's just kind of like annoying it's i was listening to a youtuber and like he said something it's like if you want to make an impact or like if you want to make a point with something you have to make it subtle and i was like huh yeah i kind of agree with that i don't know if it's necessarily always true like Think about like Animal Farm. Animal Farm does not even try to be subtle. Animal Farm is like in your face the entire time. And but like does that take away from it? You know, and so it's like maybe I was just in a bad mood where I when I read Oryx in high school. No, it's just like up to here. <laughs> like literary analysis. And I was like, I don't want to read this anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um I don't know what if, if anything by Orson Wells is particularly subtle. But I mean, it's all. Yeah, yeah no. It's all it's just bad. like animal, animal Farm is the one that like really comes. It's just like the one that. Um, anyway, yeah. Otherwise, like unless it's really in your face, I'm really bad at like analyzing things by myself and like coming to conclusions by myself. Like usually, I can tell. It's like I think that there's something more there, but I'm not really sure what it is. Mm -hmm. So usually, like when I find like a piece of media that like I really want to like know more about, I'll go online and like read like as many different takes on it as i can and like try to filter through other people's conclusions and like pick and choose mm -hmm. <laughs> um pick and choose what i want to take 
kind of, but like usually there is some kind of consensus. Yeah, I think so. I feel like um, good media tends to kind of float to the top. Yeah. I'm not sure. And so uh, recently, actually, I finally got around to watching Seven. Oh, yeah. And so by, per your recommendation. So thanks again for the recommendation. I'm like, <laughs> can't wait to read the analysis on this. <laughs> yeah, Seven's. Have you, I, I recommended um, Trial the Chicago Seven as well, yeah? Yeah, I watched that one as well. Yeah. That one was really fun. To- super different movies, obviously. but. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, not gonna lie, really I, yeah. it's... I think seven is more up my alley. Just yeah, I think like... so. <laughs> yeah. I, I I just like the aspect of um, to jump between this movies, these two movies seems kind of weird. Um, maybe we should just talk about one. Um, actually, let's just talk about seven. But um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, I kind of want to watch it again actually because <laughs> they do they do so many walks of life so differently um, and so well. Like, honestly, for, like, what I noticed watching this movie was after my time at VFS, and, like, in particular, because I, I did the cam, all the camera edits for our animatic, right? So I spent so much time with Miriam and so much time with Casey and, like, not just getting my own stuff, but, like, also kind of, like, seeing what they were, what, like, the feedback that they were giving to the other students. And it's just, like, I'm watching the movie, but, like, now I'm actually kind of, like, looking, like, okay, what what are these camera choices telling me? What are these shots telling me? Yeah. And so like, for example, one thing that you notice is that how the movie starts off really dark and gradually gets lighter. And then the last scene is dark again. So like, maybe there's something there. And like, just how like they frame, they frame the characters and how like, ah, it's yeah. yeah. Dave Fincher's pretty good. And yeah, like I've been been seeing so much of this stuff lately that it's like you know again maybe the curtain's blue just because the authors just wanted it to be blue, but it's just like like looking at it now, it's like no, I'm most choices in like a piece of media and like a piece of art are deliberate. Like artists put a lot of care and a lot of thought into their craft. Mm. Sometimes I feel like some oh yeah some things are really half baked. That's true. Yeah, but like, I like to believe. Anyway, like in the perfect world. I think um, that's one problem with CGI because you're you're creating like you don't get anything for free. It's three sixty degrees of, or I guess, camera fulcrum of. Like you gotta create everything, and when you're creating so much, you tend to have to uh, sacrifice on a fair amount of detail. Mm-hmm. Whereas, uh, like this, I mean. You're not building the walls. Well, I mean, actually, maybe they were building all the. I think one of the pitfalls of like building something fantastic with CGI is that you want to show off all of it, yeah. whereas it might be more conducive to the story, or it might be a better fit to like focus on one smaller piece of it. Yeah. But you want to show off the cool thing, but like, it would be better if you didn't. Sometimes, you know. Yeah, I the camera animation, um, camera movement. I feel like uh, it's a lot easier to do in real world cinematography. I it seems like everyone was kind of making the same mistakes um, with camera animation in our program. Uh, yeah. 
like yeah, what? I, well, just the, like pretty basic stuff that's pretty easy to spot. Um, jitteriness, uh, mm-hmm. like the classic. Uh, your camera has an ease in and ease out and it's stopping here and oh yeah just like you can the 180 tell degree the one violating the 180 degree rule uh not not even that i saw a few cases of that actually uh i'm i'm more referring to like all right uh you start one pan in and it starts fast and it ends slow and oh yeah the next shot there's no continuity of speed it just kind of it's really jarring um, I stuff feel... like that I don't necessarily like agree that those were all like mistakes per se I mean like yeah this is probably not something that you should have in your final shot but I think it's just, like the nature of the graph editor in Maya that automatically splines curves and like I think people sometimes just forget to go in and like make it linear yeah and they just I'm put a lot so, of that was with cameras I feel like it's well I think I totally nailed the cameras in my project <laughs> God, I spent an ungodly amount of hours on those cameras. I was like, this needs to be, like, perfect. Yeah. But, like, on, like um, you know, there's always room for improvement, don't get me wrong. But I also feel that, like, matching the cameras, and, like, not just shot for shot, but just, like, matching it with the sound will make a huge difference. Mm-hmm, for sure. Now that this is long-term and you kind of have to resolve yourself to working yeah. from home and being, trying to be, like, efficient from on your own mm-hmm. um, like that it was a it was a nice obligation because yeah. i i don't think i would have done as much as i had um if i was just like taking some youtube videos or like taking some yeah. courses like oh yeah no like i said that's that's why i went to be a fest in the first place if i just tried to learn this on my own like i just feel like who am, I, who am I held accountable to? Myself? I know her. She's not going to do shit if I don't do it. Like, yeah. it's, like, a, it's nice to have yeah. like a barometer of other students to yeah. gauge yourself against, too. Um, I feel like... Uh, hmm. Let's say you're I mean, taking like, like, a, yeah. like a $10 like random course online or something. Yeah. I but, feel um, like the level of commitment in that is oh. going to be super low so no matter no matter that's been forty thousand dollars yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, jesus sure. um no matter how shit your piece of artwork is you're going to be comparing yourself against other people that spent like ten dollars invested ten dollars worth of I don't yeah. know, you are a little accountable when you spend some money um yeah do you think there are people in our class who didn't necessarily feel that accountability, though. Uh, probably, yeah. I mean, lots yeah. of people. Probably, there's like seven or eight dropouts, I think. Oh yeah. Um, hmm. Uh, mental health. Just because you're in an expensive program and you are really set up to succeed, doesn't mean that mm-hmm. you're any less susceptible to the. juggernaut of depression or yeah i I think that's just i think everyone has imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. at some point in their career it's very rare to meet someone who is just like entirely self-confident at least when they're beginning yeah it's like it's not 
I don't know a single person who feels like they're 100% on top of their shit who's about to start in the industry. And, like, the thing is that, like, all of these people, like, I've, I've seen all their stuff, and I'm like, no, like, I love your stuff. I think it's wonderful. I think you've, you've got a great foot to start on. And, like, you know, it's always the there's always room for improvement always 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 but like it doesn't mean that the stuff that they produce isn't like up to par for like for entry level like it's fine we're fine we're all fine but you know everyone has imposter syndrome so we're all like <laughs> i'm like that too you know yeah it'll, it'll be interesting um this will be like a fun time capsule maybe we can like talk in 10 years and Target. Oh, touch base with everybody. <laughs> All right, so Pinky promise that we'll hold me up again in ten years. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Um, oh, God, there's a good quote from Del Toro actually that I read the other day, and it's like. I like to read all these things that like older accomplished people do, and like say because it makes me feel better about the fact that I'm in like a constant state of panic <laughs> about like my life and my career and whatever it's um i think the sublime confusion is from 19 to 29 you think you're late for everything you're has been nothing is happening there's no opportunity for you the world is closed everything is a disaster you want to die and then you're 30 and like and so another thing he said is like, you young people are in the exact age of desperation. I never felt more done and old than in my 20s. And say life has passed me by and I did nothing. But I'm here to tell you that's not true. You have a lot of fucking time. And like, because yeah, like I do feel like I'm in this constant like state of desperation. It's like, these are, this is my prime. Am I doing enough? And like, you know, this is coming from someone who likes to sit around and do jack shit all day if I can get away with it, right? And it's like, but there's still this, like, constant state of, like, time is passing by, you know? And it's nice to hear it from people who are older and from people who are, you know, comfortable. It's like, no, I wasn't a prodigy when I was, like, 20. I didn't have my shit together when I was 28. It wasn't until later, you know? And so it's, it's like, it's fine. Hmm. That's true. There's this, uh, yeah, I think we're just in a workaholic culture. And, yeah. I mean, I, it's it's... This is definitely the best time to try and be productive, I think, because I will never, maybe we'll, I kind of well, I mean, the... the other thing too, is that like, as it's like when you get older and you want to go and like do certain things, like you just don't have the body for it anymore. Like you don't have the stamina, you don't have the like endurance for it. And it's like, now is, yeah, like now is the time. And it's like, I don't. Like, yes, it's, it's a good time to be productive, but I think it's also a good time to, like, sit back and enjoy the things that you can. Because, mm. like, you're never going to be, again, in, like, a state of fitness and a state of health that you are in, right? Yeah, maybe not. Or if you are, it's <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot more work to get there. Can I ask you, like, a, a kind of personal question? Because mm -hmm. I know your girlfriend, she's, like, 20, 21? She just turned 21. She just turned 21. Like, what's that like? It's like, I don't think, like, it's not that the age difference, I think, is a lot or anything. Like, no, I think it's fine. I'm just like, but, like, there is kind of, like, a difference there in terms of, like, life yeah, stages. absolutely. Um, I, uh, makes me uh, a little introspective because um, the things that 
she enjoys right now. I used to really enjoy. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't know if she'll lose taste for them when she's 24 or 25, but um, um, I feel like uh, the things that give her pleasure used to really, I used to get a lot of pleasure from them. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel really kind of, I mean, I'm constantly comparing myself to her. Um, she's in like third year university, mm -hmm. um, going into third year. Um, I don't know. I, you can look at aging as a constructive process or a destructive process. Um, That's deep. <laughs> I, I, I'm glad. You know, I, um, I've really poured myself into like making 3d art because it seems like a mm -hmm. a good antidote to the the feeling of being lost like you've got something to work towards some a craft mm -hmm. um, and i didn't i definitely didn't have that when i was 21 um but it kind of can it is kind of consuming all consuming um yeah i feel a little jaded towards some of the things that she um finds joy in um, mm. I feel like I try and put myself above them, but I'm, I'm really not. I'm just maybe scared of them. Well, I mean, they're the youngins, the youth are kind of scary sometimes. <laughs> the youth. But no, it's like, I kind of get what you mean because, um, you know, again, BFS, there's a lot of people who are younger than us, and it's like, you can tell like you can and like I, like you said it's like i don't think i'm better than them but like i think that like i'm just we're just looking at stuff from a different point of view now that like we've been through certain parts of life that they haven't been through yet mm -hmm. you know yeah it's not as if your taste for anything is linked to your age at all i've got a friend my best friend um his parents um are 10 years apart or 12 years apart and uh, they get on great. One of them is 70, yeah. and the other one is, I guess she's like mid-50s. Um, their interests are the same, yeah. everything aligns. Um, oh, yeah, no, I like I said, like, a little bit as you age. Oh, yeah, no, like, as, I think the older you get, the, like, the less and less pronounced, like, the age difference becomes. Sure. And like I said, again, like, I don't think there's any problem, like, with the age difference between you and your girlfriend. Like, I was just curious. Um, it is nice being around people that are younger than you. Um, yeah, it makes me feel better about myself. Just kidding. <laughs> well, no, um, no, it's like, it like it's, I, it's kind of fun. There's a, it's kind of fun. There's a, yeah, kind of a euphoria to, and an invincibility to youth. Um, yeah, yeah, that's what. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just like it's a bit more carelessness. Yeah, there's there's so many wonderful qualities of. of of yeah. being a child um, that you, you really try and hold on to as you grow up but yeah it's pretty difficult as responsibility and bills set in taxes things, <laughs> things creak and but but yeah no i like i i agree i do i do like hanging out with people who are you know younger than me too it's like at the end of the day it's not about age it's about the person right like do you get along Sometimes I do wish I had more friends that were like my age, though. <laughs> yeah, it strikes me that the older you get, the more mired in your ways and routines one becomes. 
Um, and there's a pleasure in routine, but um, I think you can become a little bit, um, I mean, almost fearful of novelty. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely a thing. Um, I think part of it is because as you get older, you learn to fit into the system better. So you learn to make the system work for you. It's less of like, a, you feel less of a need to rebel. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why would you want to upset the status quo if the status quo benefits you? Or like, if it's comfortable, you know? I like, also, I think as you get older, it's like, stability is nice. Stability is comfortable. It's safe. Reliability is nice. Yeah. I like, I can't really blame people for that, but also just like, but yeah, I think there is something to be said for like breaking out of routine mm -hmm. and trying out new stuff. Me every year when I'm like, I'm tired of living in the city, time to move somewhere across the world again. Yeah. Can, you, can you speak to like where you have lived? Um... I lived in Vancouver, Toronto, uh, Taipei. Hangzhou in Mexico. How long were you in Mexico for? Well, maybe we shouldn't have done this at the beginning. <laughs> um, I was there for like close to a year when I was really little. I wasn't born there, so um, my memories of Mexico are like they're from a very long time ago. They're from when I was like two or three years old. I can still remember, but like it's not a whole lot, right? It's just. I don't know if you have memories from like your early childhood, but it's just kind of like you have no idea of what's going on at any time ever. You just remember like a blur of emotions yeah. and colors and like amnesia. feelings. Yeah. But like I I remember things, right? Um, so I was there for like a year, really. And then I spent most of my life in, in Vancouver, in Canada. Mm. But, you know, like growing up, I did go back to visit family like every year. And like the friends of my parents were all... Most of them were Mexican. There's a few people from other parts of Latin America. It was, yeah. And then um, how long were you in Hangzhou for? Uh, two and a half years, about. Closest. I'm rounding. I can't remember the exact amount of time. Um, Hangzhou is an experience. Hangzhou is a lot of fun. Um, the student is is like the really true like student experience for me. It's like you know when you go when you first like when you're watching movies. It's like, ah, oh, sending the kid off to college and they go and like party every night at the dorms. Yeah, that was Hangzhou. <laughs> at least for the first few months. What's, um, the, what's the population of the city? Oh, God, I don't know. Um, I think for Chinese standards, it's considered smaller, but of course it is many times larger than Vancouver. 12 million or something. <laughs> oh, by the way, this is kind of like completely out of left field, but like if you ever want to collaborate on something, let me know because like I'm. I'm having fun making 3D models and stuff. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I've just, um, are you mostly in ZBrush right now? Like that's in ZBrush. Yeah. Mostly because like my license for Maya ran out. So yeah, I've got like 20 <laughs> days left. Oh, 21 yeah. million people. Tiny town, tiny little town, oh, little village. It's good. No, like it's still pretty busy, like especially in Westlake. There's always like a ton of people. We did go for a walk at Westlake once at like two in the morning. It was awesome. It was just like me and two of my buds walking out Westlake at two in the morning. Mm -hmm. What uh, What were your, some of your takeaways living in China? Um, if you want something, you have to go for it. Um, is the biggest one. It's like you don't just kind of sit and wait politely. You don't just kind of wait for it to come to you. 
are just like kind of feel like ooh, like maybe maybe if I just kind of like stick my like no, you gotta make it happen. If you want something to happen, you can't just sit around and wait for it. You gotta do something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like that was one of the big ones. Um, I think I lost my like shyness too. Mm-hmm. Me shy? Can you imagine that? <laughs> no one in um, class can. Yeah, I know. Like I. I also think that I used to be a lot more like stuck up and just kind of like you know up my own ass. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I think I don't think that was entirely due to China, but I can definitely identify that as the period where I kind of started. I one second uh, that I kind of started realizing that it's like okay, actually we're not. I'm not matter. hot shit. Yeah, yeah, like it doesn't matter, right? Like we're all on equal footing funny. here, I feel you know. Like, um... There's nowhere else in the world where you can go where you're going to get applauded for being a Westerner more than China or Japan. Hold that thought. I have to go put my birds away one second. I did not receive that applause. Hmm. Not really, anyway. Um, I think part of the reason why I did not receive it is I'm not white. Hmm. Um, Like, they can tell I'm foreign, but I'm not... I don't have blonde hair, blue eyes. Yeah, and like I'm also not black. Um, I've I had one of my roommates. She was black, and um, she was telling me it's like, oh god, these people leave me alone. Like, <laughs> um, yeah. So I didn't really get like, I you know they could tell I was foreign, but they didn't really know where. And it's like, you know, somebody asked me if I was like Thai once. So I, like I imagine I fit in well enough. Yeah. I think also part of it um, was the program that I was in because I wasn't like an exchange student that was just there for like a term to kind of like cruise by in classes. It's like, no, I was there as like part of an undergrad program. And so our class was split into two groups. There's the Chinese students. The Chinese students came here to Vancouver with us afterwards. And um, there's us, the, the Vancouver students who were there in China. And um we did a lot of stuff alongside them like honestly like their level of like academics is like way mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. and it's just so it was never just like us on our own being given a free pass through things it's like no we went through the same courses as them and we weren't quite held to the same expectations as them because they know that like academic standards over there are higher they just wanted us to pass but just, it just like having that comparison and like being put side by side to them even if we were being held to like lower standards it just kind of like made it clear that's like we're not we're not anything special <laughs> yeah <laughs> um in canadian education uh, even uh, the french i did an exchange in france uh in grade 10 and the the level of math that we're doing in canada versus france um let alone china like mm. it's just the difference is astronomical it's and and to speak to uh, like coding, um, I mean your program was coding. Um, mm-hmm. How do you think they the students you were studying with in China? Do you think they picked that up all in uni, or did did they have an early introduction to that? Because I th- I hope it's changing now, but like, dude, nobody even mentioned any scripting whatsoever in, yeah. in high school. Yeah, same same with me. Um, but I, I don't know, but I do know, (laughs) like, I came back, um, to SFU after, like, after my two and a half years in China and, like, my, my course, and it's, like, they started going over these concepts, like, oh, bro, we did this in our first year in China. (laughs) 
<laughs> like, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, the standards are definitely... But, like, I think it also depends on the program, because um, at the university there, they have this thing where it's, like, all first-year-level students are required to take an intro-level programming course. And it has... It's either... Um, Java, Python, or I think like C or like C++, I can't remember. Um, and it's just like intro. Um, and so we took one of those classes because it counted for us. And it was just like super easy. And it's like, yeah, that makes sense. These are This is for people who don't know anything about coding and will probably never do much with it. It's just like, because they have to fulfill it. It's just a requirement, right? Honestly, with those classes, the hardest part was trying to figure out what the question was asking me. Because it was entirely in Chinese. Yeah. But, like, the coding itself was pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, I really hope it changes because I don't know if we'll ever have the the math equity that, that, that China teaches. I mean, China has definitely upped its um, education standards in the last couple of decades, but... Um... I mean, yeah, it's illegal to cheat on the... <laughs> university entrance exams. I think I think they do a pretty good job of um, providing university uh, opportunity to everyone in China now, though. Or I I think their uh, their university education rates are going up. Last I don't know anything about that, so I can't can't speak to it. All I know is that like when the university entrance exams come it's like a whole thing like the gao cow is like it's a big deal because yeah it decides like the rest of your life pretty much mm -hmm. uh, i could definitely argue against this all day long but um i am part of me is glad that there is a part of the world that doesn't utilize google yeah no i get i get what you mean because it's in some respects i feel like the lack of that accessibility will create its own they filled it up with baidu which is the greatest company that is definitely not weird and bad and never up to shady shit unlike google <laughs> For sure. but no i get what you mean like i think it is good to have some place that is untouched by these huge corporations that have their hand on literally everything else in the world the thing is that like sure google doesn't have their hand on it but at what cost yeah. You know, it's always a trade-off. Yeah, for sure. Um, I wanted to ask you about... Um, I was I was talking to Gaurav about mentorship as well. And yeah. I mean, we, we talked about it a little bit here, but what did you think of the VFS mentorship? Because that wasn't an aspect of the program that, like, really caught me, but um, it, it was two-thirds or a third of the program. Um, mentorship. Yeah. What do you mean, like the FPDs and the like? Yeah. Oh, I love the FPDs. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what it was like for the animators, but like, I think it, like for me, accountability is a is a big thing, and so it was really nice knowing that like Francois is gonna, you know, pop in and look at my stuff, and it also just really made sure that you don't get stuck on anything for too long. Mm -hmm. Like eventually they're gonna see it and they're gonna be like, and they're gonna they're gonna help you. Um, I found most of the mentors were really open for questions. Um. And yeah, like if I needed extra help, I'd reach out. They'd get back to me. It was good. I'd... Did you feel <clears throat> like you found a mentor? Like a specific mentor? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I like. I feel like I'm pretty evenly spread out amongst all of them, and like I do feel like I have a good personal 
personal relationship with um the people who I worked with, which was mostly um Jesse, Francois, um Miriam, Casey, and uh later Craig and uh Brad. Mm-hmm. Like even if I didn't talk to them all that much, just like it yeah, I know. Like I, I feel like I know them. I feel like we could be, you know, friends in the future. Mm-hmm. Um Francois in particular, I like I chatted a lot with Francois. Yeah. <laughs> he um he gave me a whole bunch of movie recommendations because he found out that I like horror, so he gave me like a whole list, and then I gave him a few as well. He um he also went to play video games once with me and Alan. He carried us through a boss fight. Um. So like, yeah, you know, like I, our class was very quiet overall, but I think like I'm pretty thankful that I feel like I was able to find those connections in other ways, mm-hmm. even if it wasn't necessarily with the rest of 148. I mean, like, there's you, and there's, like, my teammates, obviously, um, Alan, Gaurav, and, and Mao. But there's also, like, 147. I chatted with uh, with a lot of the TAs. Well, not a lot of them, but, like, I, I chatted with um, Kendall, with Flor. Um, uh, I had, like, a couple talks with Alex. And, like, I'm, you know, I'm just... And you know me, like, I'm always saying whatever the fuck is on my mind in the middle of class, right? Is just to like but it's nice i mean yeah you don't realize how how much that's worth until you're in a class with nobody that ever turns on their camera or ever uses their mic and it's yeah part of it is me feeling bad for the profs and being like you know i'll I'll try and like break the monotony and part of it is me just wanting to like interact yeah dude i honestly one of the biggest reasons i chose this program was because i thought it would be um one a good introduction to the film industry pipeline but two mm-hmm. an opportunity to like collaborate and i i mean mm-hmm. i dropped out of the one collaboration but <laughs> well it's okay because it's like you know it wasn't a project that you were personally invested in and that's fine like i think our creative visions just didn't align that time mm-hmm. and you know that's cool it's plenty of time there'll be future collaborations and there will be future projects same like I, I really wanted to collaborate and i really wanted to like have a group like go through things with and i think in the end i did manage to get that group it just yeah. may not yeah. have been in the way that i originally I like envisioned the, the further away you get from anything <laughs> the the clearer it gets mm-hmm. um, except for infantile amnesia but <laughs> except for infantile amnesia i'm stealing that <laughs> um, um the seeing all the other students making work and seeing what they were doing and mm-hmm. that was that was a good accountability thing yeah all the time like at least yeah and like with francois too like he's just like he's always cheerful mm-hmm. good mood in the morning yeah, and like, person and he, was yeah like, was like, he's was yeah and i was like whoa dude i'm excited to <laughs> meet him in person i don't remember day. what this was like but he was working um, on um this thing called Bucketheads. yeah yeah the star wars sick. Bucketheads fan felt it's sick. yeah i love their um their intro the, it's like this kind of stop motiony claymation kind of. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! I nice. remember. Like a simple camera. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, like um. Yeah. Well. You I, know, it, it's really easy to complain about people being quiet. God knows, I do it all the time. But like, I think the connections are there. You just have to be willing to go out of your way to look for them. Mm. And like, you know, part of it is thanks to you because you got me chatting in the other group chat with one forty seven. And so like. Now I'm thinking of, of gathering uh, a few people from 147 to come hang out at my place this week. So like, yeah, dude, that's, that'd be if, if you're going to be in Vancouver, um, 
And you're looking for a place for a place to crash. Not to put too negative a spin on it, but I I expected to like just talk about film and like film theory and like stuff like that more. Or like, oh, I'm so glad that we didn't. Honestly, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was because like I was like I'm done like learning for the sake of learning. Like I just want to get a job. I want to have like I want to learn the skills that I need to learn for the like to get myself landed in a job. Um, and like, like, that's not saying that I don't think there's any value in learning more film theory or like learning for the sake of learning. And now that I have free time, I, I mean, I spend all my time like looking up analyses of like my favorite books and movies and TV, like every piece of media that I consume. Right. Um, I love learning for the sake of learning, but for this particular program, it's like, no, I'm doing this because I want a job, mm-hmm. not more academia. Mm-hmm. Actually, that was... I did kind of want a little bit of academia. I, oh, I was so fucking sick of academia. <laughs> uh, academia with a capital yeah. A um, can be a little tiresome, but I think there is some value in, I don't know, like reading uh, an article that has been researched by someone that, you know, spent a few months on it and like cites properly. And- oh, yeah. There is definitely value in that. Yeah. It, like, it just wasn't what I was looking for in the program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, like, um, one of my friends is working on an article that she wants to get published, and she she has a master's in anthropology. She went to do field research in Guadeloupe. And so, like, she um, she runs her drafts of her articles by me, and, like, it is. It's an academic paper with citations, with analysis, and it's like, love this shit. I'm so glad I get to see this. Like, awesome, incredible, stellar. But it's it just wasn't what I wanted out of the out of the program specifically. Yeah, I guess the reason I miss it was because uh, when you are exposed to that, it does kind of demonstrate the. I think it requires a certain degree of English, and a certain degree of communication skills. Communication skills. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is yeah, so no, it, important like, when you're working on something with someone. You know? Yeah, no, it's true. Communication skills and also critical thinking is um is a big one but like yeah no, i did notice that, like a lot of i like to talk about philosophy and like and like these kinds of things and they may not necessarily be everyone's cup of tea and they may not necessarily be like like conversational topics um like at the end of the day i'm glad that i found people who also like talk about it yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and agreed 